0: This week on Art in the Air, we feature award-winning host for the NPR Daily Music Program, World Cafe, Raina Doris, discussing her journey from Canada's CBC to Pittsburgh's WXPN. Next, Outstanding Midwest Series Artist James Rakowiak's Exhibit Talk on Saturday, January 6th. Our Spotlights on Chesterton Art Center's December 2023 Member Exhibit, opening reception December 9th.
1: Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Mary, art on the air today. Stay in the know with Mary and Esther, art on the air our way. Express yourself to art and show the world your heart. Express yourself to art and show the world
0: Welcome, you're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, WVLP 103.1 FM, our weekly program covering the arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City. Aloha, everyone. We're your hosts for Art on the Air. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant, South Shore Arts, and the National Endowment for the Arts. Art in the Air is heard every Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, also streaming live at lakeshorepublicmedia.org, and is available on Lakeshore Public Media's website as a podcast. Also heard on Friday at 11 a.m. and Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP, 103.1 FM, streaming live at wvlp.org, and Tuesdays at 4 p.m. on WDSO 88.3 FM. Our spotlight interviews are also heard Wednesdays on Lakeshore Public Media. Information about Art on the Air is available at our website, breck.com AOTA. That includes a complete show archive, spotlight interviews, plus our show is available on multiple podcast platforms, including NPR One. Please like us on Facebook, Art on the Air, WVLP, for information about upcoming shows and interviews. I'd like to welcome to, or I should say, back to Out of the Air Spotlight from the Chesterton Arts Center, the executive director, Hannah Hammond-Hagman. She's going to talk about all the things going on there. They just uh, closed some shows and what they've got coming up in December and even maybe a little to January. So, Hannah, welcome back to Out of the Air Spotlight.
2: Thanks for having me. Always good to be with you guys. Yeah. Hi. Hi.
0: You just wrapped up. Great exhibit there for the Dunland Photography Club. Talk just a little bit about that before we got uh, what's coming up next.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, All of November, we hosted the Doolin Photography Club and 18 of the photographic artists from that club. It was a really varied exhibition, including some scientific photography, some landscape and portrait work. It was a really beautiful exhibit and we were happy to have them with us for the month.
3: Yeah, they're a great group.
2: They are a great group. And I, you know, anytime that we can show these kind of close knit collaborative artist groups from, you know, locally, it's really part of who we are and what we do. So it's always a pleasure to have those folks with us. And then um, this December um, we're launching our annual members Exhibition, which is a huge tradition here for the organization. Um, we easily host 60 or 70 of our member artists and makers. Um, the show will open December 2nd and run through January 4th. It'll be all kinds of media. It'll be glass and sculpture and painting and printmaking and photography. So it's always just a real showing of the depth and talent of our regional local creative community. It's a highlight of ours every year. Um, The reception will be Saturday, December 9th from noon to two. So come on out. It's free, open to the public, meet the artists, enjoy some delicious food um, and some refreshments and just kind of kick off the holidays with us and all the, the show.
3: So Hannah, are these works for sale generally?
2: Absolutely. The majority of the works are for sale and, um, there are a huge variety of price points. So, um, you can think about some gift giving of original handmade local art. It's always the best gift out there. Of course. Um, (laughs) it is. (laughs) And then, um, our time of year I'm with you, Esther. So, um, our member gift shop and artisan, um, gift shop and the member gallery walls are also full of local unique handmade works for the holiday gift giving season. Um, We're loading up on inventory, so come on out and see all of that as well. And on December 6th in the evening, we'll be open late um, from 6 to 8 p.m. after hours for um, a little sip and shop event where you can look at the members exhibit and you can also um, see all of the works Um, in our gift shop and member galleries. It will be a cash bar and some light bites, and it'll be a wonderful evening. So I hope folks will consider us a destination when they're looking for those perfect unique gifts for loved ones and friends for the holidays.
0: You're participating in some throughout December. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. So um, the Chesterton Arts District is hosting a special collaborative holiday shopping promotion, which will launch Small Business Saturday. Um, and then go through the entire month um, through December 30th. And so there are 10 um, businesses and organizations throughout downtown Chesterton that are collaborating in a bit of an elf hunt. It's adorable. (laughs) So each location will have a very naughty, sweet little elf named Chester (laughs) that'll be hiding um, in each of our spots. And folks can grab a, a passport at any one of the locations. And then you have the entire month to visit all of the shops do some shopping or gallery viewing and then collect information about Chester and what he's up to at each location. And then you can turn your, your completed um, passport to um, one of the partners, which is Three Moon Fiberworks here in Chesterton. And if you complete your passport and turn it in there, you um, enter a chance to win a gift basket that has a little something from all of the participating stores and businesses. So it's it's fantastic. And it'll um, get people moving through downtown and seeing all of the unique shopping opportunities here. Support local artists. Yeah.
0: That's kind of an extension of your uh, third uh, Friday thing uh, with the whole Chesterton Art District idea.
2: Yes, we had a wonderful season, first season, inaugural season, if you will, of our third Fridays. And we'll be back to that um, in the warmer months, um, May through the fall of next year. Um, We'll be back with third Fridays. So people should keep an eye out for all information on that, too. How fun. It is fun.
0: (laughs) During this time of year, do you have some activities going on with TAG?
2: You know, not really. But also to celebrate the holidays, we have a number of upcoming um, workshops. For families and adults as well, you can make some ornaments with us. Um, So, yeah, everybody should always check the website, chestertonart.org, for more information about upcoming classes and events and programs here at the Chesterton Art Center.
0: And we're going to interview this artist, but you have someone new coming in in January, which I know you're very excited about. And, of course, one of the missions uh, when Chesterton brought you on board was have the best of the local art, but bring in some really more substantial outside artists. So tell us a little bit about that artist in January.
2: You're right. I'm super excited about this. So um, January through February, we will welcome Chicago-based artist Brianna Bibbs, who is a non-traditional fiber artist. Um, And our gallery will be full of almost 70 of her small off-loom weaving pieces. And she uses weaving and fiber arts as a journaling process. So it's going to be a glorious exhibition. And yes, um, obviously, the Chesterton Arts Center champions our local creative community and artists community and we're just kind of expanding what we mean by local
0: <laughs> well in our last minute here let's uh, recap what's going on there uh, in december
2: Oh, my God, there's so much. So join us for our annual members exhibit, um, December 2nd through January 4th, with an opening on the 9th in the afternoon from noon to 2. Please join us for our Sip and Shop event the evening of December 6th from 6 to 8. There's a special member preview for Sip and Shop from 5 to 6. So if you're a member, um, please join us early that evening. And um, we look forward to seeing everybody through this holiday season.
0: Sounds like a busy time at Chesterton Art Center, located there on 4th Street uh, in Chesterton. That was Hannah Hagman, the executive director of the Chesterton Art Center. Thank you for coming on Art of the Year Spotlight.
2: Thanks, Thank Hannah. you, guys. Thanks, Esther.
0: And a Spotlight Extra Michigan City's Footlight Players presents Fred Carmichael's mystery, Murder on the Rerun, which is running through December 10th. More information is at footlightplayers.org. Art on the Air Spotlight and the complete one-hour program on Lakeshore Public Media is brought to you by Macaulay Real Estate in Valparaiso, Olga Patrician, Senior Broker. And as a reminder, if you'd like to have your event on Art on the Air Spotlight or have a longer feature interview, email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, Hi there, this is Public Radio theme composer B.J. Liederman, and you're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM and on WVLP 103.1 FM.
3: We are pleased to welcome Raina Doris to Art on the Air. Raina grew up in Toronto, Ontario in a musical household. She had her first radio experience in high school. The merge of these two dynamics is now exhibited in her being an award-winning radio personality. Raina is host and writer of NPR's daily nationally syndicated music interview and discovery program, World Cafe. Thank you for joining us on Art on the Air. Aloha and welcome, Raina. It's very nice to meet you it's so
4: nice to be here thank you for having me
0: and so and i'm a fan of the show uh, we hear it on Lakeshore public media uh, five days a week though i think occasionally we do bump you for uh, when we do on fridays we do a thing called game night where we cover local prep sports but otherwise you're on all the time so <laughs> appreciate you coming on the show our audience always likes to know about our guests kind of their origin story i like to say how you got from where you were to where you are now so tell us all about Raina.
4: All right. So I was born in uh, in Canada. I was actually, I was born in Toronto, then grew up in a suburb of Toronto called Stoville, And uh, yeah, I had a musical upbringing. I took piano lessons. My dad was always in bands when he was young as well. And it, music was always playing in our house. I was in high school band, played the trumpet. Uh, it was, I don't actually play instruments now, but I have that background. And I think that was really really important for me, uh, just kind of growing up and finding my interests. And bands were always just kind of part of my life. It felt like something that was very, I don't know, like I would, I would go out and see my dad play. And it was always something really he cool. He played guitar and he sang. it. He was like the front man of the band. Like uh, what kind
3: of genre of music? Oh, he did
4: like rock music. When he was younger, he would do like rock, punk rock, new wave stuff. And then when he got older, like my experience of watching my dad was mostly watching him do like, covers with his friends at like local festivals and stuff like that but i just i adored it i loved it and uh yeah as i got older um and got into music on my own outside of the stuff that my parents were listening to it just i was the kid at school when i i would carry around my disc man and my humongous (laughs) binder of cds it would just be huge it would take up most of my backpack so that was me growing up and uh like I would make my parents mixtapes and I'd sit in the car and I'd be like, you have to listen to this song. You got to listen to this part of the song. Like, it's so good. It's so important. So I was like doing the DJ thing before I even knew what the DJ thing was. It's
3: oh, fabulous. My father also, my father was so instrumental in my music love. I mean, he could just he introduced me to the greatest music and could always say, now listen to that piano and listen to those drums. And yeah, yeah. Great.
4: Yeah, I mean, growing up, uh, i it's funny. I remember being really little and my parents would listen to a lot of like Dylan and Neil Young and Leonard Cohen and Tom Waits. And when you're really little, none of those people have voices that you want to hear because they're like so they're so idiosyncratic and strange. Right. And when I was little, I was like, I hate this. This sounds so bad. And then when I got older, I was like, oh, I'm really glad I have that like basis of this music and I know it and I can appreciate it now and I've been listening to it since I was like old enough to even understand what music was.
0: Two questions. Uh, Trumpet's an unusual instrument for women. I know I in my era which I'm quite a bit older than you are I'm sure but I had a trumpet teacher that wouldn't allow women to even he wouldn't teach them because he said oh it's a man's instrument but also by having the music background in your music selection process how does it help? I mean can you still kind of read music or is that even important to you now?
4: I can kind of. I think, like, I'm better with the treble or the, uh, yeah, the treble clef than the bass clef, for sure. I can still <laughs> read it, but it takes me a lot longer. Actually, I have my trumpet in this studio here at World Cafe because it's the only soundproof place uh, in my life where I won't be bothering other people <laughs> when I practice it, you know, once every two months. So I can kind of, but it's something that I haven't kept up as much as I wish I had.
0: I know I lost the bass clef when I started playing trumpet. I my, my mom started me on piano and things early, but I was just real briefly. I was a musical theater director for many years, and I could cut scores. So I mean, I knew what to do. Okay, we'll cut from here to here because you know, doing non-professional theater in many cases, you like okay, there's uh, several hundreds of measures of dance music. Now let's cut from this measure to measure. So I did retain that part of it. So yeah,
4: so, I would say musical theater actually is probably like my first real love when it came to music as far as wanting to perform music. My sister and I making costumes uh so we could perform cats in our living room. And uh <laughs> I used to make my next door neighbor come over and we would take we would divide all the roles in Joseph and the Technicolor Dream and we would perform it in the backyard. Um wow. So yeah.
0: Did you ever do it on stage? You ever perform in any
4: Yeah, we I did like community theater, stuff like that. Okay. Uh I think I did uh chess. I was in chess. Wow that's for, a tough one. Uh, which was a weird. I was like, this is a strange one to like get a bunch of ninth graders to yeah. perform. Uh <laughs> they did. I don't think we really understood the intricacies of like the Cold War references that right. were happening. And yeah, I there were. I'm trying to think of them. Like, it feels like it was so long ago, but it was always community theater was always something that I I just loved.
0: Yeah, any idea of doing theater? I mean, I know you're busy with what you're currently doing, but any chance of doing something now?
4: Actually, yeah, I'm thinking of a. Uh, I was so busy up until the last little while with uh, the show and, you know, wedding stuff. I got married recently and I have been planning to go audit uh, an acting class in Philly. So wow. I want to mm. start doing that. I'm a little nervous, but I'm excited to, to do it again. Still do the podcast? The, the sorry. Hurt, the, oh, the voice, Yes. Yeah. So that we've recorded a whole bunch of episodes. It hasn't, the second season hasn't come out yet, but we recorded, I think most of it. So that'll be.
3: So, do you do out. any of the writing on that?
4: I don't do any of the writing on that. That is uh that is all uh, Charles Austin and uh, and his crew over at. So, episode one podcast and Pretty Dim are sort of tied together, and um, I just get to come in and read their funny scripts. That's great. I know
3: it reminds <laughs> me of like mystery science theater sort of. Yeah, it's really neat.
4: Yeah, they're so funny.
0: So, it got you through high school, and then what's uh, college? Let's take us through the kind of the rest of your journey.
4: Yeah. So um, uh, in high school, I actually you kind of mentioned off the top, I had my first taste of radio um, when my it was right around when the Iraq war was happening. And my economics teacher, he was like, hey, you've got a lot of opinions and you're very loud. (laughs) Would you want to be on this panel? The CBC, which is like the Canadian NPR, is doing a morning show panel where they're asking a bunch of high schoolers about their opinions about the Iraq war. I don't know what producer came up with that idea, but we did it. And I I remember doing it and just being like, I love this so much. Uh, It just felt great. And I wasn't 100% sure at that point that that's where I wanted to go, but it was the first time I tried it and I really loved it. In university, I went to school for radio and television arts and we would get uh, notifications if there were internships available. And I just started to get involved in the Toronto music scene uh, I was going out to see a lot of shows uh, and we were told about an opportunity at the local alternative rock station. And I went out, I interviewed for it and I got to be an intern for them, which really meant going out to concerts and like handing out uh, samples of stuff or right. high fiving people as they came out. But it was to me at the time, it was like, this is the greatest job in the whole world. <laughs> I know, <it's- laughs> Going to concerts, it's so glamorous. Exactly. And so, and that, like, I stayed at that, um, it was a radio station cluster called Chorus in Toronto. And I stayed there for quite a while. That's where I got my first on-air gig. It's where I was an intern in the digital department. Um, and that was really where I got my my actual radio start.
0: Okay. And you were there for how long? And then what brought you to uh, the States?
4: Um, I was there, oh gosh, I don't even remember how long I was there for. Few years. I mean, I I was an overnight host, and I was a weekend evening host, and I would be a swing announcer. Then I went to uh, I helped start a an indie rock radio station in Toronto called Indie eighty eight. Um, that was my first like major day part show where I was an afternoon host, and I was at the beginning the music director until that kind of became too much to do both. Then I went to CBC and hosted the morning show there, and you know, one, the previous host of World Cafe, Talia Schlanger, is also Canadian. And she went to the same university as I did. And we were never close, but we were acquaintances who would see each other. We kind of both got into radio. We knew each other. We were in the same universe. Right. Um, and I hadn't heard from her in ages. And then one day she messaged me and was like, hey, I just wanted you to know, like, I just passed your info along to the program director at WXPN. And I was like, Cool, that's awesome. Uh, didn't hear anything about that for a while, and then I heard from Bruce Warren, who's the program director here, and he was like, "Hey, you sound great." Um, and then I didn't hear anything for a while, and then that job came up, and I decided to apply, and
0: here we are. Okay, so coming to the states, you know, there's a lot of differences between Canada and the, so what? What do you? What's kind of your feeling in general? Nothing you have to be terrible, but I mean, that's got to be a little bit of a culture shock.
4: It is a bit. I mean, the there's a lot more in common than there is different. Right. I think when I was when I first moved down, it was about four years ago. It was right before the election. It was it felt like a very volatile time. And I remember my parents being like, Are you sure you want to move there? And I'm like, It's not a different planet. It's <laughs> it's like a nine hour drive and Philly and Toronto aren't that different really, like when you get down to it. I mean, the things that the biggest difference and everybody talks about this is is the healthcare. That was the one part that was really a shock and very confusing. And I think culturally, it's really interesting because the way public radio is set up in Canada is very different than how it's set up in America. Um, In Canada, the CBC is the public radio entity and it's paid for by tax dollars. And it is basically if you want to do public radio that's the only game in town and here i i actually really love how you know you have npr but you have stations doing things independently that are listener supported so you feel a real connection to the people who are supporting you and i think that's that's a really cool thing i mean there are benefits of course to having it funded by the government um but there's also there are there are downsides to that because you have to the government whoever's in charge of the government can uh Kind of change how things work, um, and I, I think it's really cool to have the connection with listeners that that they're that we have yep. in public radio here.
3: You're right; that local, each community has its its yeah. local flavor.
4: It's a real commute. It really is like a real community. And I think I was almost surprised when I got here, um, just how how much people care about their radio stations. Like how much a part of your identity it is, and how uh, I don't know. It's just a very like powerful thing. That I really, really did love when I came down here.
3: So what's the first touristy thing you did in Philadelphia? I mean, did you like... Oh, that's a great
4: question. I mean, I had a (laughs) cheesesteak. And it was good. I think you only need to have one cheesesteak a year, probably, uh, if that. I saw the Liberty Bell. And I still don't tell. I mean, I'm saying this on the radio. Don't tell. I still am not exactly sure what the significance of the Liberty Bell is. I have to remind myself. Every time someone comes to town and asks me, I'm like, hang on, I just have to Wikipedia that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, what else? I mean... Philly is cool cuz you can just walk around on the streets and it feels like you're in a museum. There's plaques being like this is the first this, this is the first that. The rocky steps. <laughs> yeah, oh the oh, of course I did that. I went I went to the the art museum and I did the Rocky steps and I embarrassed my partner when I ran up and did the thing and he was like I don't want to look like a tourist. And I was like I don't care. It's fun. It is fun. <laughs> it is fun.
0: Well, we'd like to hear about the history of the World Cafe. I mean, you only came on board in uh, 2017, but uh, tell us a little bit about the development of that and uh, then we'll talk a little bit about, you know, how you used to do your music selection.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's it's really wild to come onto a show that has such a legacy. Um it's 30 I guess 32 years this year we celebrated that 30 year anniversary two years ago and it was amazing going through all of these archives especially as a relatively new host on the show like there would be times I'd be in our archive closet and just like oh my god this person was here wow I can't believe it learning about the history of it was really fascinating and it was kind of great as a, as a new host stepping into the role to get that crash course on what it had all been like and, and David he's so loved here and he's he's such a great interviewer and getting to hear some of his older stuff that I wasn't here for. was, was really, really cool. And, you know, the building that we make it in has changed since then the technology has changed since then the music has, has changed since then, but like the core of what the show is, uh, is really the same. And it's about, I mean, there's the music discovery side of things and then there's the connecting with human beings who are super creative, hearing about their process, Hearing about, um, you know, talking about the way music creates empathy. Uh, you know, I think that's my favorite thing is, is hearing a song, talking about a song. It's like you can get a peek into somebody else's life and their emotions and their thought processes. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's really like nothing else. And uh, And so that is still the priority for us, the conversation and, you know, finding great music.
0: Great. And structuring the show, tell us about like, what's your typical day? And there may never be a typical day. I say this because, but what is your typical day or maybe week in laying out shows? Because you're putting this on five days a week and what, two hours, everything. I mean, we're doing, you know, a little art in the air here. We're doing, and I know how much work this is. We put out one show once a week, an hour long thing with multiple guests. So that's got to be a heck of a lot of work.
4: Oh, yeah. I mean, our team is amazing. And, uh, I, there's a lot of it that I don't have anything to do with that they do that I, I find incredible. I mean, our bookings person is we have, I'll kind of go through it this way. We have a bookings meeting once a week where we go through the lists of potential bookings or pitch things or whatever. Then those get given to the booking person. She chases them, puts them into our, our schedule. I, so this week, for instance, tomorrow I'm interviewing PJ Harvey. And I have spent a bunch of time prepping that. I'm going to spend this afternoon prepping it some more, getting my questions cemented. And then uh, I'll come in tomorrow. I will interview her. Um, When that's over, that will go to my producer who does some edits on that for time uh, and for clarity. And then that... Little piece will get slotted into the show that I will read probably in a couple of weeks, where I'll write the introduction and I'll write all the stuff around all the other songs that we're gonna be playing in the show. So each show, it it's like it takes weeks to create. Uh and our producers, uh, especially our, our senior producer, Kimberly Junot, who's been doing this job for for longer than I've been here, she is uh She's like a magician with scheduling. I don't know. It confuses me when I think about trying to <laughs> figure out how this show gets made and then put on the air. So, but yes, for me it's a lot of it's mostly writing to be honest. It's all a right. lot of research and it's a lot of writing. Well, I know it's
3: like pure delight for me. I mean, like all these decades of listening to World Cafe has introduced me to just the most amazing music that I would have had no other way of Hearing, I just, it's really enriching. So I have a question for you. Like, let's say you're two people. And your first person is World Cafe having to produce this, this um, program, you know, five days a week, which takes much more than five days a week, as Larry just said, you know, this is a full time job for us. And it's just one day a week. So you're two people and your your responsibilities with World Cafe would not falter. Now, what would your other version of yourself be doing like if you didn't have all those other responsibilities
4: what what are your desires and what would you be doing I love that question um I guess okay so there's a few things and I mean it's kind of easy if you walk into my house you could see what all that person would be doing because I have like a room of half started projects Uh, so, so like painting poetry. Uh, writing has always been something that I've loved to do and it's something that I still do but I've never been able to really you know make it into something that either I would read live or into a book that I would you know, self-publish. It's that's still like a dream I would love to do. I love to write and uh, tra- I mean travel is it's my favorite thing. I love I, I mean that's I feel like who doesn't love traveling right but it's but it is I really do love it. I mean we get to do that for the show, which is great. But um, yeah, if I could, I'd be I'd be doing this show all over the world. I'd have like basic World Cafe studios everywhere. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Literally, the World Cafe in uh, Paris and everything. That might. Be, and you think the NPR and uh, your uh, your station would pick up the tab on that? You know, send Oh no, own...
4: sure, yeah. <laughs> of course you know what
0: that is. Maybe...
4: Yeah, it's in the name World Cafe, right? Let's hey. let, let's do a
0: pledge drive just for that, right? Let's <laughs> send Raina to Paris. So. Yeah
3: painting. This is so interesting, because I'm working on a poetry book right now, too, that I'm illustrating. Just, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's and that's so cool. actually like, um, that's a COVID. That was a COVID thing for me. I don't know how it affected you. But I had to shut down my art gallery. And I've spent all these years promoting everybody else's art. Well, I finally had this time and space to to work on mine and to, you know, work on the poetry yeah. and work on my physical
4: art yeah, I mean, I think when I was young, I painted a lot. I was, I mean, I my first thing I ever wanted to be when I grew up was an artist. And I would draw constantly and I would paint constantly. And then as I got busier and busier painting, I would still draw. But painting, I kind of left behind. Um, and just because it's a little more work intensive. And um, when I started again recently, I just decided because I, I had to get out of the mindset of, Oh, I'm gonna paint, and it's not gonna be good. Instead, I'm like, I'm gonna paint just because it's fun and I enjoy it. It feels good, right? Yeah. And so I was just painting. This actually ties into the travel thing. I would like paint places, imaginary places that I would like to be in. It was like I. The last thing I did was like a big lush rainforest scene, Um, just because it was like the colors were fun to use. It's not good. Like I'm not gonna do anything with it, but it felt good. Um, And I think coming back to it after so long. I needed to do that before I tried to, like, you know, put any sort of standards on it.
3: Yeah. Well, it's very healing. It doesn't really matter. Mm. I mean, the quality is subjective anyway. I mean, right. <laughs> but, yeah, it just feels good to create. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Is there any guests that you've been wanting to have on World Cafe? And I realize you have a team that works on this that you haven't been able to nail down.
4: Missy um, Missy Elliott. She was just inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, I just think she's a visionary and she's so cool. And I would be very nervous, uh, but she would be great. And uh, they've had Paul McCartney on before. I have never spoken to Paul McCartney. I would love to do that. Uh, Recently, this year, we got Bruce Springsteen, which I know for them was kind of a white whale. Uh, They've been trying to get him for years and we finally got him. So that was very exciting
0: is there um anyone that you had that uh, you know, i don't you can't name the name but you think oh my gosh this interview what am i going to do with this after you're doing it And don't tell us who that is obviously but
4: usually i will say there have been there have been artists or interviews where there have been tense moments awkward moments rarely things where it's like "Ooh, that was not great but almost always i think every single one we've used And that's partly because of our prep, and that is partly because of our amazing editors who can almost always salvage something. (laughs) Right? It's so
3: true. Yeah. And (laughs) actually, the way we hear it, and the way the way we hear it when we're in the moment, and the way we hear it after the moment, it's usually sometimes it's like worlds apart.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we try to, we try to stay as close as we can, but, you know, there are some times where one thing I always tell, uh, artists before we talk is this isn't live. So if you get partway through an answer and you want to say it again or in a different way, just start at the beginning of your sentence and we can clean that up. And I've had artists who've had to do that on almost every answer. And when you hear it on air, it sounds, you know, beautiful. Yeah.
0: Well, we only have a minute left. We want to give you a chance to tell us about maybe what's coming up. This is going to air like early uh, December, but some of your stuff coming up and how people can find out more about you in the uh, World Cafe.
4: Well, we've got uh that PJ Harvey interview that I'll be doing. Olivia Rodrigo was on the show, so that'll be really cool. Um and uh yeah, I just uh, interviewed an artist yesterday named Petey, who I'm really excited about. He's a he's a young guy and uh I just—he did a great performance, as well as uh, there's another one, Leve. Her name is spelled A uh, L A U F E Y, so it doesn't look like she's Icelandic. She's uh, her name's Leve, and she kind of does like a jazz, indie rock, classical combine. It's really wonderful, and she's so talented. So all of those uh, should be coming up soon. Um, and yeah, if you want to find me uh, on social media, you can do that. It's at R-A-H-R-A-H-R-A-I-N-A. So raw reina rah, on on pretty much every single one. And then at World Cafe for everything, except for TikTok, which is at the underscore world underscore cafe, which we're just starting to use. And uh we're all figuring out right now
0: <laughs> i know i put our stuff on tiktok <laughs> also just to promote the show that's reina doris from world cafe She's our guest for today on art on the air we appreciate you coming on the and finally hooking up with you i know we kind of bounced around in the schedule but i guess getting married was more important there at one point so now that we got you nailed down thank you so much for coming on art on the air
4: oh my pleasure it's thank you so fun. much for thank out. you
5: hi this is singer songwriter kenny white and you're listening to art on the air on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM and on WVLP 103.1 FM.
3: We would like to welcome James Jankoviak to Art on the Air. James is a painter, installation artist, and educator. He makes abstract paintings that explore the metaphysical properties of light and color while also investigating the use of repetition he is a dedicated teaching artist and currently teaches throughout the city of chicago his current show the song that doesn't end is with south shore arts at the center for visual and performing arts in munster indiana it is a survey of his work from the past 10 years thank you for joining us on art on the air aloha and welcome
5: thanks for having me nice to meet you too
0: how we always like to start on our show james is finding out your background i call it your origin story i always like to say how you got from where you were to where you are now. So, tell us all about James.
5: Um, yeah, I'm. I'm a. Uh, I'm a visual artist, primarily painter. Um, I'm a teaching artist. Uh, I've been working with uh, young people in the Chicago area for about 25 years. Um, I run a painting program called uh, called Contemporary Painting Studio. It's an after school matters uh, program that is entering its uh, 19th year. And I've got a really great group of uh, students from uh, Hancock College Prep uh, that I work with uh, intermittently through the year. Um, I love being a teaching artist because it also allows me to to have ample studio time to uh, uh, keep up a pretty robust uh, studio practice. And um, I've kind of intertwined uh, my my studio work with uh, with my teaching work and um, and also music as well. Uh, I've been. Playing the piano since I was a kid, and uh, a, a lot of uh, a lot of musical language uh, fits with what I do in the studio, and uh, so I I just kind of I'm just kind of like working with these these three aspects of my life in a in a kind of uh, integrated, synchronized kind of way where everything kind of feels. The same.
3: <laughs> can, can you explain, can you um, give us an example of what that means when you're integrating the music and the art? How does it play out for you in the studio?
5: Well, um, when I'm painting, I'm breathing. And when I'm playing, uh, I'm, I'm breathing. Um, I'm also, uh, I'm obsessed with rhythm and counting and, um, the centering that that brings to, uh, you know, to, to myself, you know, like, uh, and it's a meditation in a w- in a way um there there's a lot of similarities between uh like uh, a lot of the patterns that I use in my work and the patterns that uh, that go into creating chords on the piano right um there's there's a there's a kind of uh i like to use fields of color it's pretty common to see like a bass with a certain field of color or a certain gradient kind of juxtaposed with something a little I bit like
3: like for me, um, it's the vibration, like the vibration of your painting sort of equals the vibration of music in some of them. You know, like I get a sense of that musicality in them.
5: I, I definitely uh, I'm, I'm kind of pursuing this uh, idea of how do you take a beautiful chord and make it visible? <laughs> and by you comparing it to a vibration is perfect. I mean, because that, that's what you're you know, that's what a chord is. It's a beautiful vibration. And um, yeah, like if you could see you know for me personally i don't know how other people feel but um the only time that the hair stands up on the ends mm-hmm. of my arms from uh from digesting a work of art you know like uh only comes through music it's been uh for me at least not even through painting you know and i and i love painting i think i'm i think i'm trying to get there <laughs> possible but for me it's music and it's um there there's there's like a certain kind of like uh, I, one of the paintings that's in my show is called The Deepest Cut. And it's, it's kind of a reference to, um, um, you know, those songs that are, like, really particularly special to you and might not be so special to other people. Um, but also kind of like how, um, like, and I mean, it's not physical because it sounds, it sounds brutal, but like how music kind of really just cuts through you, you know, and, and right. comes into you and gives you a physical kind of sensation, like how it's possible for a sound to affect you know other feelings like that is i don't know it that to me is just uh it's like one of the joys of life right so that that's that's essentially what i'm chasing is uh I'm, I'm trying to to i mean i'm i'm immersed in joy right now in the studio with uh with that and i think you know with the condition of the world right now it's 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 a you know we need some sort of balance <laughs> so
0: james I'd like to kind of take you back a little bit about your origin story. You know, you talked briefly about, you know, taking piano, but what were the early influences like where you grew yeah. up also about like any influences in art, like people that you may have had early in life, or maybe that didn't happen, but tell us a little bit about the early James before you got to where you are now.
5: Uh, early James, he used to sit at his, uh, at his grandparents' kitchen table with his, uh, his grandfather who was really in charge. My, my, my grandma was uh, she was always kind of bedridden, so my grandfather was the main guy and um and him giving me paper and pencils and encouraging me. he was an artist himself he was a, he was a self taught artist and uh, and he was he played the piano by ear um, apparently, he used to play at silent movie theaters when he was a kid. He would talk to me about how much fun he used to have back in St Louis when he was a kid he got hired to play the piano and uh he it it sparked this dream of his to go to Hollywood. He went to Hollywood early days. He was a, a, a stunt man. He supposedly met Lon Chaney Sr. And like th- this is all the stuff he used to talk about. And <laughs> it and then when I would see the movies and the TV shows and and, and when I would approach music, all all this stuff kind of felt normal. It all felt like that that that's the you know that's just life. And uh, his encouragement, uh, I I really do feel like like his encouragement was was key because he always used to talk about his uh, he always used to talk about his cousin, uh John, all the time, who was this like mythical figure in my grandfather's life. I never got <laughs> to meet him. He always used to talk about his cousin John Mahigan and how how his cousin John proved to the world that you could make it as an artist. And don't ever listen to anybody if uh if they tell you how hard it's gonna be to be an artist. And you know what a starving artist is? A starving artist that that's a lazy artist, you know, like th- his whole thing was about work ethic and like, you know, <laughs> like going for it and being gust, you know, anyways, you know, years pass by, you know, and this is when I was like 12, 13 years old, you know. He passed away when I was fourteen and um, you know, the internet age comes and I I was like, Well, who is this John Mahigan guy? You know, like who is the you know, who is this guy that my grandfather Uh, bragged about it. And I looked him up and I learned that he was like one of the first jazz professors ever at Juilliard. He used to hang out with Leonard Bernstein. Um, He, he uh, had a young Charles Mingus play bass on, on a, on a record that he made. That was uh, the record was, was, was made from the standpoint of, of an instructor of a teacher teaching jazz. So he didn't, he didn't kind of like strike out as a, as an artist as much as an educator and it's kind of strange because like it like when i learned all this stuff about him and then i like looked at my own life i i really kind of saw a reflection and i also like i had just the absolute like when i found out who he was and what he did and what he accomplished i just had this real genuine sense of like pride that like you know i always love my family i'm not trying to dismiss them you know but like i come from a really dysfunctional family it was just really (laughs) nice to like hear this like success story like somebody mm-hmm. in my family tree who who did these really wonderful things that i deeply admire you know um so yeah it, it definitely sparked a like re-sparked an interest in music for me because my, my mom made me take piano lessons from the time i was seven until i was 16 and um so you, you're asking about my origin story and um and i i got pretty good you know but like by the time i was like 13 14 years old i i was starting to uh um Kind of do like uh, a lot of bad stuff that the boys in the neighborhood were. I grew up in the back of the yards in Chicago. I'm from the south side, (laughs) so um, at that time in the in the early 80s, living in the back of the yards, it was a it was a white flight neighborhood. Um, There was a lot of racism in the neighborhood. Um, A lot of it left once, uh, like when the first black family like moved on my block, like within months all the white people split. So like I was, I witnessed all this stuff as a kid, you know, like when I was like, this, this started when I was like 10, 11, you know, um, our landlord even, uh, came to our, I lived upstairs from my grandfather. So to kind of stress to you how important my grandfather was, um, you know, we lived together and anyways, uh, our landlord came over, uh, and, uh, said that he needed to talk, you know, and it was really serious and, basically he was trying to get my grandparents to move uh, out of the neighborhood because he wanted to set the building on fire Mm. and um, you know I was like about 11 years old you know and and I remember when that was happening the the same landlord when I was a little boy you know like he used to like give me money to get candy Um, you know there was a store like right next door to us you know and they'd be like here you know go, go go get yourself something and then all of a sudden, you know, it turns out, you know, like, I find out that he wants us to move, you know, and that he wants to set going on fire. <laughs> um, and that was kind of like my introduction to, like, institutional racism, you know, and kind of like um, learning about that stuff in a in a really direct kind of way. And, like, anyways. Um,
3: You're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Media 89.1 FM on WVLp. 103.1
5: FM and I started doing graffiti um, because I, I was an artist from the time I was a baby. And when graffiti art came along, you know, I I, I saw something that I could do. You know, because I I loved hip hop. Um, I I was listening to Ish's interview last <laughs> night. So oh, yeah, he's part of my origin story. You know, like like we we're, we're all kind of like cut from the same cloth when it comes to like the reasons why we navigated towards graffiti art and and i i really do believe that it it for me in my situation um we uh like i said everybody was moving out of the neighborhood but my my family wasn't wasn't ready to go anywhere you know so a lot of the hardships and the uh the difficulties that that uh came along with the neglect of that neighborhood um directly affected me and my friends and um you know a lot of the kids that i knew from the time i was you know 6 7 years old like started joining gangs and, um, and it started getting kind of scary for, for me, you know, because uh, the block that we lived on was one particular gang. And like all the surrounding area was the gang that wanted to kill that gang on my block. And I was super easily identifiable. People knew where I lived. They knew who my friends were. Um, And, and, and I was just kind of like, just complicit by by where I lived, you know, and who, and who I grew up with. Like that, I think that's something like a lot of people don't really get or understand, you know, about like growing up in Chicago and like being a kid and like trying to understand like how cycles of violence kind of continue in the city. But, um, anyways, that, that's a, that's an important part of my story because I used, I used graffiti as a, as a form of identity more than anything. I became Casper, um, uh, which of course is the nickname for the white kid, you know, in the neighborhood, which was fine, though. I, I, I got to use the uh, I got to use the character Casper. For me, it was perfect. I loved the way the letters look together. Um, and uh, I, I just thought it was a cool name. It was like to, to me, it was like one of the three kings, you know, that that visited Jesus, you know, like like that name was deeper than just a cartoon character to me. Um, and anyways, uh, that moniker allowed me to navigate the city um, in my teen years in a way that my friends couldn't, you know, because they were stuck on the block, you know, and um, I never took that freedom for granted and uh, doing graffiti, the, the you know, the goal back then was to get up everywhere, not just in your own neighborhood. So I was traveling all over the city and making friends and networking with people, idealistic people, ambitious people who, who uh, believed that, you know, that what we we're doing was, was like really mattered that, that graffiti art, you know, uh it has this kind of like like utopian kind of overtone. When you're a teenager and you're involved in a in a subculture that like crosses every economic, racial, religious line and gets such a diverse group of uh of people and, and you know, back then it was a lot of young men. <laughs> which is actually kind of one of the reasons why I kind of abandoned it, to be honest with you, you know, because a lot of the dudes were getting on my nerves. That that's another story. But uh um, but anyways, uh, you know, we, we really believed we were on a mission. Um, and, uh, and it was a good, like, you know, we were hustling when we were like 16, 17 years old, you know, like our friends were working at McDonald's and Burger King and we we're, we we're going to the, you know, the, the, the neighborhood stores and, you know, anybody to throw money at us. And, you know, back then there was a lot of gang graffiti all over the place, so that was like our calling card. You know, we'd go to a place that was like plastered with gang graffiti, and we'd be like, "Hey, you want your wall to look beautiful?" You know, and then we would talk them into giving us like, uh, you know, spray paint money. Maybe we'd have a little left over to eat, or whatever. But we're we're professionals. We're getting paid for what we're doing. We're kids um, using a, an art form that was created by kids. You know, and fast forward. I was just going to say real quick, Esther, when you, fa- you fast forward to 2016 and I'm, and then all of a sudden now the CTA commissioned me to do uh, Union Station, um, that's a good juxtaposition to kind of like start off as this like kind of like graffiti kid and like one, one day the CTA would hire you to do something, you know, like I didn't expect all that back then.
3: Well, James, we spoke to Marco Salazar, who said that um, the community challenged that graffiti by opening, like allowing these artists, these young graffiti artists to paint the garage doors in the alleys. Did your community embrace?
5: Oh, yeah. No, I did tons of those. Yeah, that was there was a lot of that going on. And the the thing that was really beautiful, too, that I think like like for me that I get nostalgic about is uh, is the performative aspect of it. The fact that you're out on the street, you know, like when we're doing stuff like that in the middle of the day and your neighbors get to see you especially when we were doing those walls that were completely plastered with gang graffiti, the community appreciated us. They, they, like we, the feedback was overwhelmingly positive. There would always be some hater that would pop in and whatever, but the majority of the people in the neighborhood that would give us a thumbs up. And it just felt like we we're doing something for our community. Positive you and, know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Did you ever get any pushback from the gangs who overpainting their graffiti? Uh, was there any like uh, threats or, or anything like that?
5: Yeah, yeah, that happened a lot. <laughs> you know, but I'm still here. <laughs> I mean, it's like you know, you got to deal with that. You know, like when you're living in the city. I mean, there's just a lot of knuckleheads living in the city. You know, there's a lot, a lot of beautiful people too. I, I don't. That's one thing. You know, I'm, I'm very proud of, of, uh, of living in Chicago. I'm proud of the people of Chicago, and I, It gets annoying to. Um, to hear people them out the city, you know, and I'm not trying to do that, you know, but I mean, there's there there's just certain realities um, that exist. And um, and those were the realities that I experienced. And, and so I just, you know, you ask for my origin story. So I'm just, that's that's a big part of it. Also, I mean, like the, the, the spirit of my grandfather, though, uh, I think is really important. Like he he really did try to instill this idea of like a, like a hustler kind of mentality as well um which is stuff that they don't really teach you in school you know right.
0: Well, and I think this is important to understanding your art and uh, your whole origin story. I mean, this is, uh, this is what we want to know about is know all, all about James and how that's important. So uh, moving on though, how did art develop later in your life here? Uh, you know, now that you're, you're, you talked about it early on, but you're teaching, you're doing things like that. And now you of course have the great exhibit at the Bachman gallery at South Shore Arts. So tell us a little bit about that part of you.
5: Well, I, um, you know, I decided to go to art school. I went to Columbia College first, um, and, um, very confused, uh, took advertising, hated it, took film because I loved film. My film teacher, uh, told me this in the second semester, uh, um, in a one-on-one critique, he said, James, if I thought you were a serious film student, I'd fail you. He's like, but I could see you're searching. So I'm going to make a deal with you. Um, I'm willing to give you a C, uh, if, uh, you transfer to the art Institute and take some drawing classes. And I never see you again for the rest of my life. <laughs> 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 and uh, I stood up and I shook his hand and I took his advice and I transferred. I went to the art Institute and I loved it there. And um, I decided to take electives when I first got there to get them out of the way. So I took my time arts class, it was a performance art class and, uh, and I ended up really loving it and, and did pretty great with performance. Uh, at the time I was uh, influenced by a, uh, Spaulding gray, like storytellers, um, type performance artists. Um, um, and I think that that, that love is also a direct line to, uh, to my teaching life, you know, so, uh, but, uh, yeah, anyways, I, I ended up dropping out of art school and, um, I had a, a son when I was pretty young and I, I needed to go to work and I needed to take care of him. Uh, the good thing that I got though, was, uh, out of school was that i did create a small network of people who uh continued to give me advice that i continued to reach out to and um i learned a ton on my own you know i had to kind of uh you know i was this you know graffiti kid who was like wanted to be serious about you know trying to contribute to to the bigger dialogue of what's happening in 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 the art world right now and um so I, I started immersing myself up into places where I felt really strange at first, uh, doing a lot of this stuff on my own and alone, and feeling awkward and feeling uncomfortable. Um, but I found my I found my people over a long period of time. You know, like uh, it took a lot of years. You know, but uh, I found my people. That, that that's the way I feel about it now.
0: Now, do you have your own studio? You're, is that the space you're in right now? Your studio?
5: Yes. Yeah. This and behind me is a this, this takes over my, my entire space right now. Um, It's even behind this. uh, I had some, I had a class from the art Institute in my studio uh, Sunday. My friend Maria Gaspar uh, brought her kids in and um, gave them a little pep talk. (laughs) It was fun. I love it. Yeah. I know
3: those interactions are so wonderful when they can come into the studio
5: yeah, yeah, it was great. It was really cool. But th- this project behind me is for uh, the Westlawn Library. It's a uh, Department of Cultural Affairs special event, city of Chicago. It's going into a library here on the southwest side of Chicago. And it's supposed to be done before Christmas. I don't know if we're going to make it or not, but we're trying.
0: <laughs> Tell us a little bit about uh, what you have in the uh, Bachman Gallery at South Shore Arts real uh, quickly.
5: So, uh uh bridget Covert uh invited me to uh to participate in this exhibition uh before covid happened and um uh, when when covid happened uh we kind of kind of dropped out and uh out of touch you know for like like a lot of people did and a lot of things that were going to the wayside you know um no, nothing was expected anymore everything seemed like the world was upended and what have you and then um Tom Terlemke and Linda Dorman, uh, Indiana legends. Um, they became uh, curators at the space and they asked me to be a part of this show. And they wanted to basically make a, like a 10 year survey, like kind of like they wanted to get an impression of like where I was a decade ago to now. Cause they, they, they see this as like a, you know, a decade that's worth showing off there. So, um, but most of the pieces are pretty new. Most are like within the last few years. Um, there's way less pieces from the past than newer ones.
0: And the show went up in November. Uh, tell us briefly, you have a gallery talk coming up in uh, January. Tell us a little bit about the time and date on that.
5: Um, right now, the the gallery talk is scheduled for, uh, I believe it's Sunday, uh, January 6th at 2 p.m. Um, so um, people could expect, to, uh, of course, to meet me, ask me questions. Uh, I will give them, uh, most likely I'll bring a PowerPoint with me. I like to... I like to show pictures. Uh, I think I'm a fun storyteller. The majority of people that come out uh, to support me uh, are entertained. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do believe that, uh, you know, so I, I'm, I'm always trying, I wanna make sure that people are having a good time and that, that it's open, it's accessible and that they have fun and they, they learn something.
3: Yeah, I know, so, I'm sorry this is ending so quickly. I have so many questions for you about your painting. <laughs>
5: Oh, it's okay. It's okay. Are we already at the end? I didn't realize that. We are.
0: Well, James, we'd like to thank you for coming on Art in the Air. Uh, it's a uh, great sharing your whole story. It's uh, the song that never ends, Bachman Gallery, South Shore Arts, the Center of Visual Morning Arts. Uh, i will be running through January. January 6th is his Artist Talk. We appreciate you coming on. That's James Yankoviac. Thank you for coming on the show.
5: Thank you, James. Thanks to both of you. I appreciate it. Take care.
0: We'd like to thank our guest this week on Art in the Air our weekly program covering the arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. Art on the Air is heard Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, also streaming live at lakeshorepublicmedia.org, and is available on Lakeshore Public Media's website as a podcast. Art on the Air is also heard Friday at 11 a.m. and Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP, 103.1 FM, streaming live at wvlp.org. Our spotlight interviews are heard every Wednesday on Lakeshore Public Media. Thanks to Tom Maloney, Vice President of Radio Operation for Lakeshore Public Media, and Greg Kovach, WVLP's Station Manager. Our theme music is by Billy Foster with a vocal by Renee Foster. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant, South Shore Arts, and the National Endowment for the Arts. We'd like to thank our current underwriters for Lakeshore Public Media, Macaulay Real Estate in Valparaiso, Ola Patrician, Senior Broker and for WVLP, Walt Reitinger of Paragon Investments. So we may continue to bring you Art in the Air. We rely on you, our listeners and underwriters, for ongoing financial support. If you're looking to support Art on the Air, we have information on our website at breck.com AOTA, where you can find out how to become a supporter or underwriter of our program in whatever amount you are able. And like I say every week, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. You'll feel so good about supporting Art on the Air.
1: Yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Mary. Art on the air today. Stay in the know. Show the world your heart Express yourself you And show the world